Do you have an idea for a podcast, but you don't know where to start? Maybe you're overwhelmed by all the tech or you're convinced nobody will actually listen to you. Well, I'm Shauna Game. After nine and a half years as a professional podcaster, at this show, everyone's talking money. And 25 million downloads later, let me tell you the secret to a profitable podcast. It is building a solid foundation, your podcast roadmap before you launch. That's why I created the Podcaster Class, a fast-paced group cohort podcasting for profit eight-week style NBA program. The Podcaster Class is immersive, comprehensive, and insanely motivational. If you want to create a podcast, DIYing a launch is just not the way to go. In the Podcaster Class, you'll get the tools, tips, and strategies to create a podcast that resonates with listeners and one you can be proud of. Get this. 90% of podcasters never make it to episode three. That's 2.8 million podcasters who just quit. So to be a top podcaster, you only need to publish 21 episodes, but you got to make them good. So in the podcaster class, I'm taking the mystery out of how to create, launch, and profit from your podcast so you can create a top 1% podcast just like this one. The May cohort is now open for enrollment. Classes start May 22nd. There are only 15 spots open. You are going to learn podcasting with me and 14 other amazing people. You can learn all the details at thepodcasterclass.com. Use code podcast when you sign up for $100 off. That's thepodcasterclass.com. You know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is Oh, so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com slash etm. There are 150 different possible combinations of repayment programs and loans and forgiveness options. And like, if you matrix out like all the scenarios, there's a little bit of analysis paralysis. Welcome to Everyone's Talking Money podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Game. There's no judgment, no dumb questions, just smart conversations about you and your money. So come on in and grab a seat. Everyone is welcome here. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Yes, I'm so happy that you found this episode. If you are one of the 43 million student loan borrowers in the US right now, my guess is that you're thinking WTF is going on. (laughs) Student loans for many borrowers have been on pause due to the pandemic, and they're about to resume, currently set for August 31st, 2022, if things don't change, and they might. And what about that $10,000 student loan forgiveness? Who knows what's going to happen with that? Since I don't have a crystal ball, I can't tell you what is going to happen. However, our guest in this episode, Robert Farrington, who is America's student loan debt expert and the founder of The College Investor, shares his thoughts on how this whole thing is going to shake out. Robert is also talking about the power of the public service loan forgiveness program, that 25% of borrowers qualify for don't even know that they do. How to make sure you're on the right payment plan, what to do to prepare for when these loans do get resumed, the future of student loans, and so much more. All right, let's start talking money. 
Robert, it is so great to have you back on the show. As I mentioned before I hit record, I'm sure you're a very, very busy person right now being a student loan expert. So thanks for being here and uh, helping to shed some light on all this for us. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. It has been a crazy time. And so I'm looking forward to chatting about it. I think the question, probably the number one question that just is on everyone's mind is, is student loan forgiveness happening? Like, is this thing even possible? You know, I don't know the answer to that. It um, Honestly, there's a lot of variables there. And it seems like there is the possibility that it could happen. I would still put the odds probably 80% that it doesn't happen, maybe 20% that it does. But if you asked me six months ago, it probably would have been 95% that it doesn't. So you know, things are changing. But I do think it's important for borrowers to know that there are a lot of programs available today for borrowers without any changes to the law or Biden signing anything or executive orders. Like, there's a lot of help. And the one thing that President Biden has been doing over the last year has been fixing a lot of the bureaucratic issues that have been preventing people from getting the loan forgiveness that they already deserve under federal law. And so when you see these headlines, like certain batches of people or things are happening or programs are being reformed, there's a lot of wins in there for student loan borrowers to get some help that might have been a bureaucratic roadblock before. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about that whole bureaucratic process and, and like who now can can get access to things that they couldn't before. Sure. So, I mean, let's talk about that headline. I feel like maybe the last time I was on your show, we talked about this, where 99% <laughs> of people were getting rejected for public service loan forgiveness. Right. So public service loan forgiveness is honestly one of the best loan forgiveness programs that exists. You work in public service for 10 years and any remaining balance on your student loan is forgiven given tax-free. And public service employment is so broad that, you know, they estimate that about 10 million student loan borrowers, so about 25% of all student loan borrowers qualify because you could work in federal government, state government, local government. Right. You can work for a school district, for a police department, fire department. You can work for like weird things too, like a water district, right? Like really? you don't have well, because it's a public service, yeah, right? Okay, okay, <laughs> like, right, right, yeah. There's so many jobs out there that qualify for this. So it's an amazing program. But the problem was, is our bureaucracy has roadblocked so many no, people from getting it. All right. <laughs> I can't even <laughs> imagine that happening. You think the government works efficiently, but it doesn't, right? So, you know, there's these headlines that 99% of people were being rejected. And for a lot of reasons, too. Some of it was actually the borrower's fault, but some of it was the government's fault. Some of it was the loan servicer's fault. Um, but what it really came down to was there was a lot of paperwork issues, right? And so, so President Biden has done things like automate uh, some of the paperwork. So they already know if you work for the government, right? The IRS sure. knows who you work for. So it's like, hey, why don't we just take this data and why don't we like, you know, correlate everything and like figure <laughs> it out, right? Um, one of the other big roadblocks was you had to be in certain repayment programs and you had to have certain loan types. Well, until October 31st of this year, um, there is what's called the Public Service Loan Forgiveness Waiver. And if you didn't have the right loan type, you can consolidate your loans right now into a direct consolidation loan. And all your past payments that didn't qualify before will now qualify. Wow. Uh, okay. That's big, it, right? It's it's huge, right? Because some of these people have been teachers for 15, 20 years. And as such, they had old student loans because they've been doing it for so long and they thought they qualified and they found out they didn't qualify. Well, this waiver, all you have to do is go on studentaid.gov, consolidate your loans and boom, as long as you certify your employment, you'll get that loan forgiveness. And so this has really opened the door for potentially, you know, 100, 200, even up to a million people that might not have previously qualified and or were stuck in this bureaucratic limbo now to get the loan forgiveness that they deserve. And I think we're also in this interesting time. I would love to like just chat about this because obviously we've got people on one side. Most people who have student loan debt are very pro, let's forgive debt. Can we forgive it all? You know, I'll take anything. And then we've got, interestingly enough, people on the other side that are kind of opposing this argument, maybe people who've already paid off their student loans. 
whatever it might be. Uh, what do you think about this? Like, how is this going to shake out? It's really hard because I personally think that student loan forgiveness in some form has to be part of the solution, but it shouldn't be the solution. Um, and the reason is, is that you know, student loans, one, there's 40, 45 million student loan borrowers. And the data says that 10 to 12% of them consistently deal with delinquency and default. So if you take the inverse of that, your 80% plus of people that took student loans are financially just fine. Now, do would they like to have their loans forgiven? Of course. If <laughs> yes. you ask anyone, I'd love to have my student loans forgiven. Uh, yes, please. Right. And I also think we can't dismiss that it no matter what, it would help every single borrower. Ten thousand dollars, fifty thousand dollars total loan forgiveness would be individually extremely beneficial. But at that point in time, it's no different than a stimulus check or anything else. Like you're just giving people money. And that's where I think a lot of people feel kind of unfair, right? Like, hey, how come they're getting $10,000 and I'm not getting $10,000? <laughs> and they're kind of right because it's like, why? Like, it, And I think it also goes back to what's the greater good here and does it solve any problems? And so that's also my second beef is I don't know if blanket student loan forgiveness fixes any public policy issue around higher education, paying for college, and exactly the student loan right. debt crisis, right? So one of the phrases I've been using a lot is that, how is student loan debt so toxic that we have to forgive it, but it's not toxic enough that we have to stop lending it? Yes. Okay. Let, yeah, let's, let's go into that. Because so here's some data, right? So every year in the last, at least the last four years, we've loaned out $90 billion in student loans. Wow. Right. And so you want to forgive, you know, uh, $10,000 a borrower that equates to about $300 billion. Well, in four years, we loan $300 billion of student loans. Like you're not changing it. And so it's like, what do you tell this high schooler? Because right now we're recording this and it's, uh, you know, everyone's making their college decisions. They're figuring out their financing. So you got this kid that's 17, 18 years old and going to college for the first year and applying for student loans. And yet on the flip side, we're going to potentially forgive student loans for other people. Like it right, just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me from a public policy perspective about like, how is this going to solve anything? How is this going to lower college costs? How is it going to stop this? And then I honestly, you know, I, I don't like the word moral hazard because I don't think it's actually an individual's moral hazard. Like I don't think a student loan borrower is going to suddenly jump out and like take on more than they can afford because of loan forgiveness. But where I do think we're going to see the problem is colleges are going to be like, well, hey, we can just start raising more money because people can borrow more. And they, who cares? Because loan forgiveness will come or a president will forgive it. And so I think those are the actors that are going to take more advantage of it, which is going to accelerate the problem we have going on with higher education costs rising and people continuing to borrow. And, you know, it also comes down to ROI. So, you know, I think the other part of this that people don't realize is that student loans aren't inherently bad, but people aren't getting the outcomes that they thought they were, right? Sure. Yeah. It, they're it not comes down to jobs, right? They're not, they're not, they're not able to pay them off, all of those sorts of things. Exactly. Because if everyone was just paying off their student loans, like who cares, right? But <laughs> we have other issues that are macroeconomic here in terms of stagnant wage growth and, you know, job market and all these other things that we're also not talking about dealing with, right? Um, and so there's just a lot here. I also have a real problem with the for-profit colleges. So another interesting stat is, you know, when the student loan program started in the 70s, there was only about 1% to 3% of all colleges in the United States were private for-profit schools. And these were typically vocational schools back then, too. Okay. Yeah. Everything else was nonprofit, state, that kind of thing. Um, today, the majority of schools in this country are for-profit, like 66 or so percent. <laughs> Not necessarily by enrollment numbers, right? So the, the nonprofits and the state schools and stuff still have higher enrollment numbers, but there's more, more colleges are for-profit. And these things include a lot of the vocational schools, barbershops, beauty shops, you know, all those things that take federal dollars in. And so what does that tell you? Like the more we pump into the system, these for-profit institutions keep taking it. And if on the flip side, if you look at the schools that have the highest default rates of borrowers, it's 
all these for-profit schools. Like the top 10 of them are like eight of them are like beauty schools. And then you have some of these other for-profit in there. It's like, we already know the data. We know these schools don't help students and borrowers. And yet we're still lending and we just want to throw more money in the system. And then we're going to forgive it later. It just, none of it makes sense to me. So I think student loan forgiveness can be part of the problem or sorry, probably part of the solution. I love programs like public service loan forgiveness where you have to do something to get something. I think I think most Americans would probably agree that's a, a good thing. Like we holistically agree that public service jobs are good. And if you do them for 10 years, you can get a balance forgiven. Like it's no different than going into the military and getting loan forgiveness or going to work for an employer. Like I think we could see more of that. And I think loan forgiveness can be a big part of that solution. But just writing off 10 grand or an arbitrary amount it becomes a political tool and not a public policy purpose. It was interesting. We had a guest on the show that I interviewed a couple days ago, uh, and he uh, owns a company where he helps people with the FAFSA, and he also helps people you know, negotiate with colleges and kind of do that whole uh, game, if you will, that most colleges don't like to admit actually does happen. And we talked about the sort of underbelly of all of this, much of what you're talking about here, where, you know, colleges are just going to raise their prices, you know, we're, we're still going to continue down this road of even more and more student debt, like nothing is actually getting solved. It's just getting more and more complicated and complex for for individuals. And it just, you know, after talking to him at the end of it, I was just kind of shaking my head, like, how do we as just individuals out there trying to live our lives, like how do we figure any of this out? Well, I mean, it's it's hard, right? So I think I all, I'm a big believer in personal accountability, and I do think that's also a missing part of our holistic, you know, countrywide equation. Is that nobody like really wants to take personal accountability? They all want to blame the loan servicers or the government, and you know, there are bad actors, hundred percent. Like I I can rag on Sally Mae all day long, but at the end of the day, you also have to own up to the financial decisions that you've made and the debt you've taken on. And things too, like navigating student loan repayment, it is confusing. There are 150 different possible combinations of repayment programs and loans and forgiveness options. And like, if you matrix out like all the scenarios, there's a little bit of analysis paralysis, right? But at the same time, you can hop into Google and like get some answers like very quickly. You can go to studentaid.gov and like get some answers for your loan. Like there are ways to solve your own financial problems and things as well. And now is the system broken? Yes. And are there opportunities to solve it? A hundred percent. But like that's one conversation. And then you have the individual conversation. Like, how are you going to address your own situation? And that's on both sides. That's like on paying for college. Like, how do we navigate that? And then how do you navigate getting out of student loan debt and investing and building wealth and budgeting and all those other personal finance topics, right? And so I think that's huge. I think we need to have the public policy conversation. But if we're talking to the individual, like, you know, you got to do the best for you, given the, the rules of the game today. Like, would I like the rules of the game to be different? Of course. But we have to exist in the world we live in. And so, like, let's navigate it today. But let's talk about the change we want to see as well. Well, talking about individual, I, I want to dive into your story a little bit more. You're, you're talking about investing and growing wealth. And I know you say that the number one dilemma holding people back from investing and growing wealth is student loans. There's there's a correlation. And I get that question all the time. Should I be paying off my loan? Should I be doing this? Like, what should I be doing? So tell us a little bit about like what motivated you to uh, you know, take this charge on and, uh, you know, become a student loan advocate expert. Yeah. Well, you know, so it was never my intention actually to talk about student loans. It was always about side hustling. Let's earn money. Let's invest it. Let's grow our wealth. Like I love seeing the numbers go up in your, you know, (laughs) personal capital or whatever account you track everything. Like that's the fun part. Well, you know, then I started seeing people like that's cool and all, but like I have all this debt and I'm spending $300, $400 a month servicing that. So I can't take that to invest it. And it was very eye opening to me. Um, And then I had my own 
you know, problems with Fed loans. So like I had $43,000 in student loan debt when I graduated and, you know, Fed loan, you know, and they're not going to be a loan servicer much longer, but they messed up my direct debit. And all of a sudden I got all these notices that said I was delinquent and I didn't make my oh, payment. Yeah. I'm like, how does this happen? Like it was right? auto debited. Right. And so like I, I dealt with it. I called up customer service. I got it all resolved. But what does any good blogger do? <laughs> I wrote about it. <laughs> And that was, yeah, you let let your fingers go and uh, you get it all out, right? I got it all out. And this was, you know, 10 plus years ago before the student loan crisis was a national news headline, right? And you wouldn't believe the comments I got. I think that article is still up. I think it's called like Fed Loan, the worst student loan servicer. And I mean, there's hundreds of comments on that article of people saying, oh my God, me too. Like no one's talking about this. Like there's a whole can of worms here that people need to know about. And that's really kind of what like put a light bulb moment for me that like, there's a problem here. No one's talking about this problem. So I'm gonna start talking about it more and educating myself more. And it was eye-opening, like when you start really diving into the details of how student loans operate, um, all the different repayment options, like it gets confusing and hard. And I can really understand why people are struggling to navigate this. But on the flip side, I also was like, holy crap, if you navigate this correctly, you can free up a lot of money in your budget. You could start investing and building wealth. And then as we all know, the earlier you start, even with like a hundred bucks a month, like the better off you'll be. And so if like we can like fix your student loan repayment and help you get loan forgiveness and do all these things, like you can also like set yourself up with like a financial springboard in your 20s. So by the time you're in your 30s or 40s, you're like just cruising the high life. And so that's really what my focus has been and highlighting all these issues with student loans, but also figuring out, hey, you can balance investing and start building wealth early and some tactics to pay off student loans. I'm still a fan of the side hustle and earning more money and, and <laughs> yes. leveraging all these tools so that you can really better your financial life early, um, as early as possible, at least. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash ETM to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash ETM. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. 
You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. (laughs) I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. It's harder than ever to find clothes that will stand the test of time. But if you're looking for pieces designed to last, you can't go wrong with American Giant. From hoodies and t-shirts to denim and more, they've got everything you need to build a wardrobe that you'll be proud of for years to come. Shop wardrobe essentials that last a lifetime at American-Giant.com and use LT23 to get 20% off your first order. That's 20% off your first order, American-Giant.com, code LT23. And I'm imagining that student loans are a lot like, uh, you know, when we talk about your cell phone, like whoever you have, your cell phone carrier, your plan that you have, or your your internet plan, where you just sort of set it and you don't think about it, right? I just had somebody on the show that was talking about car insurance and they were saying that you should shop your car insurance every six months to a year, like that frequently. And so I'm I'm you know more about this, but I'm guessing that most people just pick a plan when they graduate and they just kind of stay in that plan and don't ever think about, you know, that there are are alternatives. So I want to talk about, you know, some of the some of the data again. Tell us a little bit more about some of the programs that exist today that, you know, borrowers listening maybe don't even know about. Absolutely. So first off, I think it's we're in this crazy time because student loans have been paused for over two years, two and a half years at this point in time, right? Has this and ever so, has this ever happened before? This is this unprecedented. Is yeah, okay, never okay. happened before. And so you realize that there are two years of college graduates that have literally even never even had to make student loan payments since they graduated college at this point in time. <laughs> nice. And so it is crazy because that means there's also a lot of people that have never even had experience with it. And they estimate it's about three to six million people. I don't know the latest data because may right now when we're recording this is graduation time, but I would estimate it's going to be about six million borrowers by the time payments restart that have literally never even had a payment because wow. they've just ridden out, yeah. you know, the payment pause, right? So first off, I will say when you graduate and you start making payments, everybody defaults into the 10-year standard repayment plan. And just like it sounds, it is a level 10-year payment and at the 10-year mark, your loan is paid off. Well, that payment is also typically your highest monthly payment because it's trying to pay off your loan in 10 years. And so a lot of people get that first bill and they're like, oh my God, they freak out. I can't afford this. Like what is going on? They don't realize that there's other repayment plan options out there. And then maybe they stumble into it or, you know, hopefully they don't get themselves into you know, delinquency or default before they do. But, you know, there's other options out there. So the best options, I would say, are what's called the income-driven repayment plan options. These are programs that just like they sound, they base your monthly loan payment as a percentage of your income. These are programs like pay-as-you-earn, income-based repayment, revised pay-as-you-earn, income-contingent repayment. So those four are all income-driven 
repayment plans. And depending on the plan you pick and your income, it'll be anywhere from 10 to 15% of your discretionary income would go to your loan payment each month. But if you don't make a lot of money, or maybe you're unemployed, that means your legal loan payment would be $0 per month. And that is a legal student loan payment. Tell me, yeah, tell me about discretionary. What does that mean? So they take your discretionary income, which is a calculation of your adjusted gross income from your tax return. And depending on your states, the lower 48 states have one calculation. And then uh, Alaska and Hawaii have their own calculations as well. Um, And they, you know, they take that, that, uh, your AGI and that, that calculation and they back out things like what the poverty level is of your state and things like that. And you get to a number and then 15% of that or 10% of that would be your required student loan payment each month. And so if your income is very low, you get a lower loan payment or a $0 loan payment. And so it's hugely beneficial, especially for those starting out. But part two is to qualify for most of the you know, loan forgiveness programs, like public service loan forgiveness, for example, you need to be on an income-driven repayment plan. So it's an even better option for you than most people realize. And- so if you're, quick question. So if you, if you qualify for you know, a low payment or even a $0 payment, and let's say then in a couple of years, your income fluctuates and goes up, uh, do those times when you had the $0 payment, does that does that count against you? Or how does that factor in? Well, it doesn't. It, it, yes and no. Like it doesn't really count against you, especially if you're going for loan forgiveness, right? So if you're in public service loan forgiveness, 10 years, it doesn't matter if you have a $0 payment or $100 payment or whatever. At the 10-year mark, the remaining balance is forgiven. So your goal is honestly to get as low a payment as humanly possible if you're in a forgiveness program, because then it maximizes your loan forgiveness. Now, if you you know start earning significant amount of money, you know during that period of time of zero dollar payments, your loan balance is growing, right? Interest is still accruing on your loans, so your loan balance could be bigger than when you started because it's a negative amortization. But again, that's not necessarily a bad thing because I will also tell you that every income-driven repayment program includes loan forgiveness at the end of it. So this is the other big loan forgiveness program that exists in America, and most people don't even realize it. So just being on an income-driven repayment plan qualifies you for loan forgiveness. The problem is it's at the 20-year mark, not the 10-year mark like other ones. But let's just say your life just didn't shake out like you you planned. You know, at 20 years out, your loans will get forgiven. And so it's like, it's not great, but you know, you graduate at 22 and at 42, any remaining balance on these programs will see your loans balances just poof, be gone and you're done. And so it's an option there. And now again, if your income rises significantly and you start paying off your debt, you just start paying off your debt. Like, okay, that happens too, right? Yeah, not necessarily the end of the world. If your income rises, hopefully you have more income, obviously, to, exactly. to, pay, to pay for these loans. And so, you know, I, I'm i thinking about when I came out of grad school, I got my MBA and um, massive amount, I think it was like $68,000 in student loans, just ridiculous amount of money. And there weren't these options available for me for, you know, there wasn't student loan forgiveness, there weren't these plans, the income driven plans. So I'm curious, like, what do you think going forward? Like, are these plans going to stay? Or is there going to maybe be like another iteration of these? Well, that yes, these plans will stay. And the reason they'll stay is they'll stay at least for all the existing borrowers, because these plans are written into your promissory note. And so there's no real way for the government to change that, which is also why these new, like the temporary waiver that we talked about earlier, um, it requires you to consolidate your loans into a new loan, because they can write new terms into new loans they can't change your existing terms and your existing loans. Okay, and it. so these programs will change. And that's why they're offering these exemptions and these changes to, you know, you have these old loans, like we'll qualify those old payments, but we need you to reconsolidate, get this new loan. And then with these new loan terms, we can, you know, potentially offer you loan forgiveness. So I see these programs changing. The problem is, is because you can't take away these old programs, all they ever do is create new programs 
And then that almost adds to the confusion in the system (laughs) (laughs) because now you have more options and more choices and more things to navigate. And it gets hard for borrowers to understand what's out there. And then people see the headline. And that's, I think, part of the problem is that a lot of these like teachers, for example, thought they would qualify for public service loan forgiveness, but they only saw the headline. They didn't know that they had the wrong loan type or the wrong repayment program or things like that. And that's that's what's so hard about this. So will more stuff come down the road? I think so, but it does run the potential to confuse people. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward this year and there's going to be a point in time where everyone's going to have to start paying their loans again. It's just, it's going to happen. So <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, you know, if I'm, if I'm listening right now, my loans are on pause, how should I set myself up for when they do come off pause that I'm in the best position? Like, should I be proactive now? Should I be calling my servicer? You know, what should I be doing? Yep. I mean, honestly, at some point in time, these loans will unpause. Whether right now it's supposed to be in August or, you know, they're going to extend it again, which they could because of the elections. At some point in time, it will end. And, you know, maybe it goes longer. Maybe it's this year. We'll see. But the best thing you can do is simply get organized with your loans. So, you know, chances are your loan servicer might have changed over the last two and a half years, or you're making your payments for the first time, or your income's changed or anything. So, get organized, go to studentaid.gov, go see where your loans are, make sure you can find your loan servicer, log into their website, make sure your address and phone number is updated and your email is updated because like, shoot, you might've moved in the last couple of years. Like the world has changed. I mean, two and a half years, three years is a long time. So like make sure all your stuff is updated so that way you can get notifications and things when payments resume and you don't miss anything. Also, if you're on an income-driven repayment plan, um, you can start recertifying your income. Um, And they're going to give you all the way until like six months. Right now, they're talking 2023 um, you have until to recertify your income. But like if your income is low right now, like I would even consider recertifying right now with your low income in case your income rises in the future. So that way, your first payments, when they do turn on are going to be low or zero, you know, depending on what your situation is. But you need to do that so that you have the right amount for the income-driven repayment programs when they start. But it really comes down to getting organized. I would strongly urge nobody to make extra payments on their loans. Um, I know people are like, oh, but it's like 0%, so all the money goes to principal and yada, yada, yada. Like, don't give the government a dime more. (laughs) than they are owed because there's a lot of variables in here first off like what if forgiveness does happen right like hey yeah you'd kick yourself like you'd be so mad if like they you know eliminate some of your loans and you paid extra and like got rid of them like sure you're debt free but like that was just a dumb waste of money um Two, it's like take that money and like put it towards other things that could better your future. Eliminate any other consumer debt you have. Um, you know, maybe put it in an emergency fund, save for a rainy day, max out your IRA. Like there's a lot of other things you could deploy that money to. Um, so don't give it to your student loans because you're also at 0% interest right now. So it's like it literally doesn't cost you a dime to not pay those loans. And honestly, they could keep extending this. Like, you know, maybe you're thinking August, but like it could go again, it could go again, it could go again. One of the things we've talked about on our site is, um, you know, we don't believe that Biden has the executive authority to forgive student loans. There's some other backdoor ways he could do it, but it's not as simple as just signing an executive order. But one thing he can do is keep the pause and interest waiver at zero um, and make no payments due as long as the state of emergency exists. So, I mean, he could just keep extending that stuff out, you know, and mm, it's, interesting. A, a, okay. it, it's equivalent to, you know, giving loan forgiveness. Because at this point in time, if you take the average payment that borrowers have had of like $383 and 30 months of paused loans through August, uh, the average borrower then, because we're talking average payment, would have not had to make almost $11,500 wow. in payments. Right? That's a lot of money. That is. So it's like, it's not quite loan forgiveness, but it's kind of a lot of savings. And then part two is all of these POS payments count for these loan forgiveness programs. So if you're on a 10-year public service loan forgiveness programs, 25% of your payment requirements have been like 
no payments required at all, right? Right. So, so we, got, we got to change our perspective here, right? Like how we're thinking about this. It is. I mean, it's not like a, I'm not like a, you know, politician ad here, but like <laughs> there's been a lot of good that's been done. It's hard for them to sell the good because, you know, they want total forgiveness and other things. But, you know, this has been a very beneficial thing for a lot of people. And, you know, I don't know how many people have leveraged it. I'd love to see the the data when payments restart. Like, you know, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of scientists that look at this and see like, how did it help people? What happened? You know, and it'll be really interesting to see in the future. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. Delete Me is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using Delete Me and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash etm. Go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use code etm for 20% off. Hey, my name's Otis Gray, host of The Daily Book Club, a daily podcast where I read wonderful old books one chapter at a time. Simple as that. Whether you want to get engaged and lost in a fascinating story that has stood the test of time, or just relax to a good book, listen to The Daily Book Club to get wrapped up or unwind during your day. We'll read classic stories like Pride and Prejudice, The Enchanted April, The Wind in the Willows, beautiful stories all told from start to finish. And you can even do a real book club. Tune into the Daily Book Club Discord and discuss the readings with other book club listeners. However you want to listen, it's your choice. Subscribe to the Daily Book Club on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere else. New episodes every single day. So sit back, relax, and get lost in the Daily Book Club. Talking about money is hard. You know this already. All over the world, people are taught to never talk about money, politics, sex, or religion in polite company. On 50 Fires, a podcast about money and meeting from executive producers Chip and Joanna Gaines, host and financial conversationalist Carl Richards will remove money from that list by having frank, funny, and often difficult conversations about money, the kind we're all told not to have, with guests from all walks of life. In each episode, Carl will invite a new guest to answer the question, what does money mean to you? Their answers will reveal much more than their attitudes about money, spanning revelations about identity, community, faith, family, and the true meaning of wealth. Tune in to hear deep conversations about money and the meaning it holds in our lives. You can find 50 Fires on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. So if loans are forgiven, if we are in in that situation, do we know who it will who it will impact? You know, it, it depends on the amount and you know what it is. But at the ten thousand dollar level, there's been reports that almost a third of loan borrowers will see like their total balance forgiven wow. because a lot of people really 
have low balances on student loans. Um, and yes, the average graduate is at like $30,000 these days, but you know, that means there's also a lot below that number and a lot above that number, right? And the problem is though, is like, who, who is it going to benefit? Again, 80% of people make their payments just fine. And so we're kind of just giving them 10,000 bucks. And then on the flip side, I mean, there's those 10 to 12% of people that will probably be very much positively impacted by it. And that's a good thing. But I'll also tell you one of the programs that a lot of people aren't talking about that's already the law is what's the Fresh Start program. So one of the things that was buried in all of these executive orders so far on student loans is that President Biden is pulling every single borrower that was in delinquent or default. They will start with current loan really? payments when, yeah, when, when, when payments resume, whenever that is. So every one of those, you know, 10 to 12% of people that have been struggling previously prior to the pandemic will get a fresh start, which I honestly think is one of the best programs they could have done because it's been two and a half years. Like, People's situations have changed, and now you're not stuck in that vicious cycle of delinquency and default and, you know, potentially facing collections and other things. Like, you truly get a fresh start when loan payments do resume. That's amazing. I, I did not know about that. I mean, I would imagine that a lot of people don't even know that that exists. Exactly. And especially those that are most impacted. I think that's the biggest, I think, challenge with restarting loan payments is how do you communicate this out to all 45 million student loan borrowers <laughs> and get into contact with them? Because it's been two and a half years. And these people that were already in that delinquency and default cycle were probably the ones that were toughest to get a hold of and connect with prior to the pandemic. And like, how's that going to be now? It's like, how do you get that message out and connect with them? All right. Well, we're we're doing our part here, right? <laughs> exactly. Tell tell us more about um, college investor. I know it, you got your your blog has blossomed into this you know amazing business. I just saw you. Was it on the Today Show that I? Saw I you? was. Okay. Yes. I just saw you on the Today Show, and you said I didn't even know I was going to be on the Today Show. <laughs> so uh, you know you're, you're kind of everywhere. Tell us a little bit more about it and some of the other money topics that that you talk about. Yeah. So at The College Investor, we talk about everything about getting out of student loan debt to investing and building wealth. And of course, we touch on all these tangential things like paying for college, because that's the big thing right now. Um, saving for college. We review almost every product and service in the financial industry that we can get our hands on so that we can provide you unbiased reviews. And of course, you know, we have the website, but we're also on, you know, podcasts. So you can listen to The College Investor audio show. And, you know, we have our video. So you can find us on YouTube and TikTok as well. Um, but we love talking about these money topics to help you make better informed financial decisions and really understand it. Because I think, Shanna, yeah, the baseline yeah. of this conversation is that I do think that most people in America just don't really understand how the system works, how paying for college, the higher education system and student loan system just work. And so it's like when you're having these conversations about forgiveness and everything, it's like, let's all start with like the same common set of data and information, and then maybe we can make better decisions. But, you know, everyone's coming at it with like a not fully informed picture, which I think is a harder part of the national dialogue around this. Completely. Absolutely. One of the reasons why uh, we renamed our show Everyone's Talking Money so we can have these conversations uh, about these money topics and, and ask these questions that I feel like maybe people don't know they need to ask, or maybe they're afraid to ask. So we can really, you know, get get to the bottom of all of this information. Because Money is is at its core. It's it's simple, right? But it's mm -hmm. we've made it very complex. And so having uh, sites like yours, where people can come and like get this this really good information that you can't find anywhere else, is I think so invaluable. I agree. I mean, I tell my son this, he's in second grade and I've like, you've learned all you need to know about money. You know how to add and subtract and you know how to Google something like that is literally all you need to know to master your money. But at the same time, you know, these conversations are complex and nuanced, and this is more of a public policy issue, but you know, it doesn't make for a great headline on social media. And so that's the hard part is like nuance gets lost in our daily media out there. And it's like, these are massively nuanced issues. And you know, that's, that's why it's so complicated. Okay. Uh, 
And now that all of our heads are are spinning, including mine, hopefully, hopefully we got some sort of we shed some sort of light on this subject. I know I definitely learned some interesting things. Is there any good news on the horizon for for student loans for student debt? I mean, or are we just going to continue down this cycle of more and more debt and trying to figure out ways to help people? I mean, do you do you see any relief? Well, I mean, honestly, we have to give President Biden credit for what he's done. It's not blanket loan forgiveness, but the simple fact that he's been fixing all the problems with our existing programs is huge. So the last data, so remember I gave you that 99% headline of PSLF rejections? Well, that's down to almost 90%. So 10% in like one year period of time, 10% more people are getting approved for this program just because of these reforms. So it's like, I'm honestly extremely bullish on and, you know, seeing these things executed like they're supposed to be, because I love public service loan forgiveness. The data says that by 2024 and 2025, we're going to see a million people getting loan forgiveness just based on what people have submitted already. It's a 10 year program, right? So you can do the math out to, to those years. And it's like, as long as you're fixing the bureaucracy today, a lot of people are going to benefit from this relief that deserve it. And that's that's huge. And I think that bolsters the credibility of these loan forgiveness programs, which are great. And so like take advantage of them. And I, I see like a lot of this stuff is just getting fixed. And, you know, it's not the blanket loan forgiveness, but it's a huge positive for the system without like having to deal with any laws or Congress or anything else. Well, Robert, as always, you are a wealth of information. Thank you for being here and and helping us all out. Tell everyone listening, if they want to connect with you and learn more about The College Investor, where do they go? Yeah, so you can go to thecollegeinvestor.com and you can find our written content there. You can listen to our podcast on your favorite podcasting platform or check out our videos on YouTube and TikTok at The College Investor. I can't tell you how many aha moments I had in this conversation, everything from learning about nonprofits versus the rise of profit schools, which is just, I, I don't even, I don't even have words for how that happened, to the idea that Robert was talking about of reframing the student loan pause. He really got me thinking about the future of education, student loans, how messed up this system really is, and how we really need some sort of change. No matter where you stand, the truth is that student loan debt does keep so many of us from building wealth. As I always say on the show, it's all about balance. And while your loans may suck, the beauty is that you were able to get an education. And as a female, I can say that brings me so much pride. And I know that there are many other females around the world that just don't even have this opportunity. At the end of the day, it's obvious that we need to continue to talk about student loans so we can find solutions that are going to work for us. If you enjoyed this episode, I have two favors. Share it with some friends right now and leave an honest review for the show in whatever podcast player you're listening to. I'll see you back here in a few days to continue talking money.